Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, I'm Brenda Newman. I'm a medical student at Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. I serve on the JOMA Pre-Med Committee as Advisement Coordinator. Today, I will be guest hosting a new JOMA podcast series called Specialty Spotlight. This podcast is geared towards anyone who is interested in learning about different medical specialties. Our first guest is Dr. Avishai Newman. Dr. Newman is a board-certified anesthesiologist and Sackler alumnus of the class of 2006. Currently, Dr. Newman is the medical director of Centurion Anesthesia, an anesthesia group that provides services to over 100 ambulatory and office-based practices in 10 states, primarily in New York, New Jersey, and Florida. Additionally, Dr. Newman has been an attending on staff at New York Presbyterian Queens since 2010 and is also on staff at NYU Langone Medical Center. Dr. Newman served as the Director of Anesthesiology at Peninsula Hospital Center in Farakaway and as the Medical Director at a number of ambulatory surgery centers in the New York metro area. Dr. Newman completed his internship in internal medicine at Mamanese Medical Center. Following his intern year, he was awarded the prestigious Nursing Partnership Award for his work and involvement in restructuring the hospital code team. He continued his residency in anesthesiology at SUNY Downstate Medical Center. Throughout his medical training, Dr. Newman has been involved in research and has been published in the prestigious journals of anesthesia and analgesia and the British Journal of Anesthesia. He has also presented posters and case studies at a number of national medical conferences. In his spare time, Dr. Newman volunteers as a regional emergency medical advisory committee physician in Atsala and serves as the medical director for Hatsala Air, the aviation division of Hatsala. Dr. Newman resides in Valley Stream with his wife and four children, where he serves as the president of his synagogue. Welcome, Dr. Newman, and thank you for joining our podcast today. Thanks for having me. So my first question for you, I get a lot. As the advisement coordinator of Joma Pre-Med, I meet and speak to students at the beginning of their pre-med journey. Many students ask me with concern, how do I know if medicine is the right track for me? What guidance would you give students with this question? Well, Brenda, first of all, that's a a loaded question. Most people who are on the pre-med track have been thinking about pre-med and been contemplating going to medical school and becoming a doctor or physician for many years. um, And if not for many years during their their college career, uh, they thought that maybe this is something that speaks to them. And you know, it's it's definitely um, more than a 60-second answer, but I would say just a couple of key points that students should remember um, and, and really take to heart and to consider is, number one, this is a long haul. This is not the sort of thing that you get into thinking, all right, let me just go this route, get it done with, and then I'll be a doctor. Um, as you know, uh, as a medical student currently, it took you, you know, a few years in college, with uh, um, the rigorous courses that you had to go through in the sciences, and probably today more, more than that, you know, um, there were MCATs, there was an interview and uh, process that, that you had to go through. And so this is definitely something that is 
not just a uh, you know a graduate program, but this is a lifelong commitment. And if people are going to jump into this lifelong commitment, they have to be ready to, uh, you know, the way I describe it is enjoy the ride. They have to be ready to endure medical school, residency, and even, you know, as an early attending, it's not the easiest of lifestyles. Um, a lot of times people who are in medical school are going through the process, see their friends sort of zooming by them, so to speak, you know, if they went to a short, you know, two-year graduate program or even law school, that's three years and then they get out and they start working and making money. And here we are in medical school, kind of just trudging along as a student, still taking tests. And then, you know, as a resident, going through residency and training and so on. So I think that it's important to recognize and to realize for the medical students that uh, a career in medicine is, is what it is. It's a career in medicine. It's a lifelong path. It's lifelong learning. And they should really be prepared, you know, for that long ride. A lot of times, you know, people will get into medical school thinking they want to go in one direction and then they'll end up in a completely different direction. Even in residency, you know, there there's a statistic out there that says a third of residents switch their tracks. So what what may be, you know, a short track for one person may end up taking them a lot longer. And so you got to enjoy the ride and you got to enjoy the learning and you have to be prepared for a life of uh, of learning and a life of medicine and dedication to uh, to patients. Yeah, I'm not even at the end of my path, but I agree with that. I think medicine's not just a career choice, but a life choice at the end of the day. Um, and then kind of leading into our next question. So after you decided that medicine was the right choice for you, you went to Sackler School of Medicine, which is an an American a medical program in Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, can you tell us about your experience as a medical student in Sackler School of Medicine? Yes, yeah, Sackler was a fantastic program, and it, and it remains to be a fantastic program. I'm still involved um, with uh, the alumni, and uh, over the last number of years, I, I was involved in interviewing some of the medical students and speaking to them also about you know my choice of specialty. Um, Sackler is a unique program. It was the first New York state, um, American program that was overseas that was, um, I guess accredited by New York state. Uh, the program started in 1976 and graduated their first class in 1980. And since then it's been, uh, probably one of the most prestigious, uh, schools overseas. They tend to match their, uh, medical students very well into specialties, into residencies. The experience of learning in Israel is definitely an experience like no other. Um, on many, you know, in many ways, you know, moving to a foreign country and dealing with medicine in a foreign language and in a different healthcare setting is very eye-opening, very different than what we have here in the States. But at the same time, uh, very rewarding. I think that the medical students that go to Sackler get a very well-rounded education. And it is it is a little different for medical students in Israel than it, it would be for, for them here in the United States. Just as an example, so that people understand, the medical students in Israel are generally mentored by attending physicians and professors, whereas the mentorship here in the United States, and I know because I did my residency here and trained medical students, tends to be more of a residency run uh, mentorship. And so for the medical students who are in Israel, it's really a rewarding experience to be able to 
to learn from attendings who've been, you know, practicing for a number of years. And um, even though there is a language barrier in many of the hospitals, the entire program is in English and they make all the accommodations to, you know, cater to the American students to make it as easy as possible for them. But the other added benefit, I think, is is learning Hebrew and learning a new language, you know, for medicine and learning, you know, a new language as a language just to be able to speak and to understand and to read and to comprehend charts. Um, having that experience is, is really, I think, a valuable experience. And I think it will broaden the horizon of any, um, you know, potential future medical students that may want to consider it. That sounds like a great experience. And on top of that, let's not forget, you are in Tel Aviv, you know, about 10 minutes from the beach. So after your finals, like we used to do, we used to go over to the beach and relax and kick our feet up and have some drinks. I had children when I was there. My kids used to, you know, to play in, play in the sand. And it was, you know, on top of that, I should just say, you know, the, the community aspect of it. When I was there, we probably had about six or seven married couples with children in my class all living in the same area. Shabbos meals were, were really nice. We used to have from, not from, married, single, total mix of everyone. Very, very cohesive. I still have very, very good friends today, you know, from Sackler, from the, from the friendships that we made back in uh, Ramad Aviv. Oh, well, that's nice. Um, and just going back to anesthesiology a bit, and your field. I know that a lot of people don't know a lot about the field of anesthesia. Even medical students don't get a lot of exposure to it. Um, and patients, especially, they only meet their anesthesiologist like right before surgery. I think our listeners would benefit from learning more about your field. So can you walk us through the typical day for you as an anesthesiologist and explain why you decided to go into the field of anesthesiology? Okay. So let's, let me, let me just back up and break that into two questions. First, let me tell you a little bit about anesthesiology and, and why I, I decided to go into it. Anesthesiology is um, a field of medicine that really touches all other aspects of medicine. What do I mean by that? Anesthesiologists are there to care for patients from when they literally come to deliver a baby um, from the beginning of life. Um, there are subspecialties in anesthesiology, pediatric anesthesia, OB anesthesia, I myself used to, you know, work in labor and delivery anesthesia. And then, you know, there are children that need procedures from the time they're born, whether it's a congenital heart malformation, whether it's an MRI of their brain and they need sedation to undergo just a simple, you know, CAT scan or MRI. Um, as children grow up, they have their tonsils out, their adenoids out, ear tubes. Um, as you get older, adolescents have specific you know, procedures that they might have if, if, you know, a child is suffering from abdominal pain, just a simple endoscopy as they get older. And as you go through life, no matter what point in life you're at, when there's a procedure that's going to be performed and somebody is going to have to be sedated, the anesthesiologists are there to ensure that it's done safely and it's done appropriately and that the patients can, you know, be comfortable during their procedure and not in pain. And as you go through life, you know, even today with preventative health care, you know, uh, screening for colonoscopies, that requires an anesthesiologist. Um, anytime, you know, anybody needs surgery for anything, you need an anesthesiologist. So we deal with all the medical specialties, literally from, you know, from the cradle to the grave, as they say. You know, I've been in involved in cases with organ harvesting 
um, for transplantation purposes. And the anesthesiologist really has to have a good understanding of all different aspects of medicine, all different types of diseases as it relates to the anesthesia that's being provided. And so if you really want to be involved in, in, in a little bit of everything when it comes to medicine, as opposed to, you know, focused on one specialty, I mean, there are many specialties also where you get the breadth of, of all of medicine, like radiology or emergency medicine or internal medicine even is, is, is pretty broad. But if you want to be involved on the, on the procedure side and working with all the different specialties, anesthesiology is, is one way to go about it. And so um, when I was a medical student, going back to, you know, your question, like why, you know, choose this field or I'll get into my, my typical day in a little bit. But one of the things that I really couldn't decide, I liked so many different things. And when you have that sort of dilemma, like what do you want to go into? Anesthesiology happens to be a really good choice. Unfortunately, it is underrepresented in the medical school system because there's typically not a dedicated anesthesia rotation unless you choose to do so. A lot of times they'll, they'll, you know, give you a week of anesthesiology during your surgical rotation, but it's really become uh, an important field of medicine that is ancillary to all other aspects of medicine. Um, and so if you are looking for a specialty as a medical student, if the medical students out there listening, if they're looking for a specialty where you can have quality of life, um, good compensation, and a very diverse interaction with all aspects of medicine, anesthesiology would be the place to look. Um, now, getting back to your other question, I hope that was uh, a pretty um, broad answer, you know, broad brush answer, but and I hope it was meaningful to, to the listeners out there. Um, what does my typical day look like? Well, I run a practice with a number of anesthesiologists. We service a lot of different locations from surgery centers to offices, pretty much all outpatient. Um, on a typical day, if we're, let's say, working in a surgery center, most surgery starts, tends to start early in the morning. So the anesthesiologists have to be there before the surgery begins to interview the patients and set up their room and set up the operating room or the procedure room, wherever it is they're working. We'll typically come in, set up, see our first patient anywhere between 7 and 7.30 in the morning. And that's when the days get started. Now, depending on what you're doing, you could be doing 20 to 30 procedures in one day, whether it's uh, cataract surgery or colonoscopies and endoscopies, or you could be doing one case for, for a very long time. Some of our surgery centers um, do surgery, spine surgery. And the spine surgery cases can take a couple of hours. You can have a case, you know, where we get started at like seven in the morning, you know, setting up the room and seeing the patient. We bring the patient in around 7.30. We put them to sleep. That could take, you know, 20 to 30 minutes to get them positioned and prepped for surgery. And then the actual operation could take two to three hours or even five hours. And by the time we wake the patient up, it's already, you know, one, two o'clock in the afternoon. On the other side, you know, we could have been, you know, doing procedures every 15 minutes. If it was cataracts or, like I said, colonoscopies or cystoscopies other types of procedures that are a lot shorter in duration, and we're seeing a lot more patients. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll typically finish out the day. We'll make sure that the patients are recovered and that they're, you know, uh, discharged and going home safely. And then uh, that's, that's, that would be a typical day in the outpatient setting of an anesthesiologist, something along those lines. 
somewhere in there, you'll grab a cup of coffee, maybe you'll take a break for lunch. But it all depends. You know, there's so many different things. Um, when I used to do labor and delivery anesthesia, I used to come to the hospital, you know, uh, at let's say nine o'clock in the morning, we would have one scheduled C-section. It would take about an hour. And then I would just, you know, hang out there. If they called for an epidural, I would come. Otherwise, you know, you could just sit and read your book or the newspaper, do whatever you need to do, check emails, you know, and, you know, another day you'd have the same thing and you would literally not be sitting for eight hours straight, 12 hours straight. So it's, it's variable, but it's, it's controlled. What's nice about anesthesiology is that you can have another doctor come and relieve you. Even if you're in the middle of a case doing, you know, uh, you know, if somebody's having their gallbladder taken out, if the shift is over and it's four o'clock and you've got somebody to relieve you, that person could step in and you'll do the sign out. And that person, the next anesthesiologist will be the one that's waking up the patient. So there is uh, some level of control that you have in your schedule. Um, and I think that's, that's, you know, good for people to know. Awesome. Thank you for walking us through your day and explaining to us why you decided on anesthesia. Can you tell us about your decision to go into private practice and your experience starting a large practice? Sure. So uh, interestingly enough, when I finished my residency, one of the, um, I want to say, more, more common models in anesthesiology is that you would go to work for a group and that group um, would have senior partners and junior partners and the junior partners would do more of the work and then over the years climb the ladder to become a senior partner. Now, at that time, back in 2010, 11 years ago, they were not really, you know, the practices were not really interested in taking people that were completely Shomer Shabbos into their partnership tracks. And uh, I am Shomer Shabbos and I was not, you know, for, for me, I was not willing to work on Shabbos um, for a job that, you know, I had control over. And so they, they didn't offer me that partnership track. So, you know, I said to them, I said, okay, no problem. You'll put me on a couple of days a week and I'll start my own practice. And they looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. Um, which I probably was at the time, not, not thinking too much in advance, but, uh, I had a little bit of a plan, you know, I figured we're going to start off. We're going to try to pick up one or two places and, and do this on uh, on my own. And over time, the practice just grew and grew. Uh, as the practice got bigger, I scaled back my days in the hospital. Like I said earlier, I used to do labor and delivery anesthesia uh, three nights a week. So at that time, I was working um, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and working in the surgery centers and the offices by day. It was pretty uh, tiring week. But as things got um, busier and as, as we started um, growing as a group, I scaled back my work in the hospital till I basically stopped. I haven't been in the hospital in, in quite a few years. Um, I think since 2017, it was my last shift there, just to give you an idea. But um, I think, you know, the the practice as it grew sort of took me by surprise. I didn't expect what would happen would happen. And I was very lucky that at the time, office-based anesthesia and, and um, surgery center anesthesia was definitely, you know, there, there were definitely offices that were doing it, but it wasn't like it is today. I mean, over the last decade, the number of practices that have accredited their own offices to do anesthesia within the offices has, has doubled. Quad ASF, you know, back in 2010, probably had about 5,000 uh, accredited offices across the United States since, you know, let's just say 1990. So you're looking at 
20 years worth or maybe even longer. And then in the last decade, that doubled to, you know, over 10,000 offices. And so I was also, you know, in the right place at the right time, having the experience to know what to do and having had the experience within the private practice setting in the office-based, you know, arena of anesthesia. That's, that's really what allowed us to, to, uh, to be very successful. And if you could give one piece of advice to the pre-med and medical students listening to this podcast, what would it be? Um, one piece of advice. I think, I think the, the main message to them would be you got to stay the course and you got to enjoy the ride. A lot of times it can be very daunting. I know I remember in my first year of medical school thinking to myself, this is not medicine, you know, taking all these courses, statistics and biostatistics and biochemistry. It was so, it was, it was challenging. It was hard. And a lot of times people want to just, you know, throw in the towel. I think you have to just try to enjoy the ride and love what you do every single day and know that, that what you're doing, you know, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, you are working towards a goal and uh, the more you enjoy it, the easier it will be to, to learn. And so I think, you know, just kind of knowing that uh, you're going to stay the course and uh, try to take in as much as you can, because once you get into private practice, once you get out, unless you're in an academic setting, the time, you know, for learning is a lot more condensed. You got a lot more time when you're in medical school and residency to really to do as much learning as you possibly can. In transitioning to your patients, um, what do you wish your patients knew about anesthesiology? And do you think there are misconceptions in the public about anesthesia? You know, most patients, um, you know, you have basically two types of patients, patients that want to know everything and patients that want to know nothing. Um, you know, the patients that are educated, we're, we're very happy to educate them. And if people are interested in learning about what they're having done, what procedure they're going to be having, what medications they're taking, what the side effects are, you know, there are those people who are happy to explain to them everything from beginning to end. And there are other people that are just not interested. I think, you know, like everything out there, um, there are misconceptions about, you know, labor epidurals and patients becoming paralyzed or anesthesia being extremely dangerous. People will, you know, tell you stories that they heard. A lot of times it's like a game of telephone. The story is not exactly how it happened. You know, patients don't get paralyzed from, you know, labor epidurals. Just a matter of trying to, you know, see through, you know, all of the, you know, unfortunately fake news today and speak to the doctors and speak to the people that are the professionals and the experts in the field and hear what they have to say as opposed to, you know, reading a blog online, you know, about patient experiences, which is also good, but it's not going to give you the accurate information that, that people should want to know. So yeah, are there, are there challenges out there with communicating with patients? There are, but I think there's, there's a way to do it. Um, and I think if, you know, if patients really want to know, they should be, you know, trying to, you know, seek out the experts in the field and learn from them versus, you know, all the people that are just relaying their experiences, which is, again, also important, but that's not really how they're going to come to understand, you know, what procedure they're having, how safe the anesthetic that's being used is, and, and so on. And do you have any advice for patients undergoing anesthesia? I always uh, tell patients to have an advocate with them whether it's having anesthesia or just being in the hospital or the emergency room, 
and always ask questions to the doctor, you know, or to the nurse or to whoever it is that is coming, you know, to, you know, either take you, you know, to give you anesthesia or even a nurse coming to hang IV antibiotics. A lot of times in medicine, unfortunately, things are done almost automatically. And so patients will come in to an emergency room and the nurse will just start doing something. Now, sometimes it's because the doctor wrote the order and sometimes it's because they're just following a checklist. And so it's important to, to make sure to, to ask questions, make sure to have a patient advocate and make sure to ask the surgeon, if you're going for a procedure, have you worked with this anesthesiologist before? Have you worked with this team of anesthesiologists before? And, and can we trust them? And can we make sure the surgeon is, is comfortable? Then I think the patient should be comfortable because no one's looking, you know, for problems. And so, you know, if the surgeon wants a good outcome, they'll make sure, we, we would hope they would want to make sure that they're working with a good partner. And, you know, anesthesia surgeon, anesthesia proceduralist, it's a team sport. You can't have one successful without the other one, you know, being successful. So you want to make sure that, that they're a good team. On behalf of the Joma Pre-Med Committee, I would like to thank you for your time and the wisdom you provided us with Dr. Newman. It was really a great pleasure speaking with you and learning from you. Thank you. Hope that was helpful for all your viewers. Yes, that was a lot of helpful information. I would just like to remind the viewers to please rate and review the Joma podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A, dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.